Welcome back to the Oscar Project Podcast, the show where I discuss Oscar-nominated films year by year. I'm your host, Jonathan Etreberg, and today I'm covering the 1927 film, The Patent Leather Kid. This film is a pretty long one, so I want to get into the basics on the film before I discuss a bit more about the history behind it and what it means in the larger context of film history. The Patent Leather Kid first hit theaters on September 1st, 1927. It was directed by Alfred Santel from a story by Rupert Hughes and Winifred Dunn, and was based on a short story of the same name, also by Hughes. It stars Richard Barthelmess as the patent leather kid, Molly O'Day as his love interest, Curly Boyle, Lawford Davidson as Lieutenant Hugo Breen, Matthew Betts as Jake Stuke, the kid's boxing agent, Arthur Stone as Jimmy Kinch, his trainer, and Ray Turner as Mabile Molasses, his sparring partner. The film has a running time of 130 minutes and was produced by Alfred Santel and Richard A. Rowland and distributed by First National Pictures. Barthelmiss received the only Academy Award nomination for the film for Best Actor. I watched The Patent Leather Kid on YouTube, though there are DVDs available out there if you look for them. It is a bit harder to find than the previous films on the show like Speedy and The Jazz Singer. The film follows the exploits of The Patent Leather Kid and Curly Boyle as they dance around each other and work through their relationship, all amid the growing likelihood that the United States will enter World War I. It begins in 1917, where the kid is facing off in a boxing match. Curly and Breen attend the fight, and Curly yells at the kid from the front row. After the fight, the kid meets them outside and exchanges words with Breen, before leaving with Curly in tow, and his manager reminding him, No skirts! Apparently the kid has some history with women. The kid's manager and Curly trade some barbs, both verbal and physical, over a few scenes before the action moves to Good Friday 1917. The kid gets a newspaper and focuses on a small article about his upcoming fight, rather than the front-page headline that war has been declared on Germany. Curly pushes him to enlist, and her nightclub dance routine takes on a distinctly patriotic tone. She even blows off dancing with him in favor of a soldier in the nightclub, telling the kid, if he wants to fight, then he needs a uniform. At his next fight, the kid is jeered by the audience for not joining the army. He thinks his opponent is knocked out, but as he focuses on the crowd, his opponent knocks him out cold. Back at the nightclub, Curly and Breen are dancing together when the kid walks in after a fight. As usual, they trade words and eventually fists, causing a full fight in the club. The kid returns to his training room to find Molasses, his sparring partner, in an army uniform, and Puffy, his trainer, holding a draft card. The two new soldiers eventually leave and the kid is completely alone, left to ponder his future. Curly comes to see him, and there is a military parade going by. She tells him to take off his cap as the flag goes by, and he initially refuses, but eventually does so reluctantly. She tells him, Loving your country is like loving your mother. You just can't help it. To which he replies, All my country ever done for me was get me knocked out. She kisses him and shoves a letter in his hand, telling him that she's going to France to help in the war effort before running off. His manager then shows up and asks if she ran out on him before handing him his draft notice. The kid is confused, thinking that his manager was going to keep him out of the war. The manager says he has a new manager now, Uncle Sam. The kid ends up with Puffy in training camp, where they run into Lieutenant Breen once again. Breen is putting together a unit and selects the kid, saying, This man enjoys a fight, before Puffy asks to join as well. Once we get to the war, we get a few shots of daily life in France at a way station on the way to the front. 
The kid is just one of the grunts marching into town, and Puffy suggests grabbing some of the French girls. The kid responds by saying he's through with girls. Curly and Breen are together again, and before long the kid sees them dancing together, creates yet another scene, and is detained. Curly pleads his case, but he is assigned guard duty. However, before that can be carried out, the unit is called to the front, and the kid wishes he said goodbye to Curly as we see the shadows of marching soldiers pass her window. In the trenches, the Americans advance on the Germans who retreat, but the kid is terrified and hides while everyone else rushes past an attack. Puffy continues to push the kid forward into the fight before trying to take out a machine gun nest. He gets shot and crawls back to the trench with the kid, who holds him in his arms as he dies. The kid crawls forward to take out the machine gun as a tank crew tries to grenade it as well. He saves the squad commander from a German soldier and climbs the church tower to take out a machine gunner before the tower collapses and traps the kid. Back in the hut where they danced before heading out to the front, the soldiers are broken and battered, dying slowly. Nurse Curly tends to the wounded, exhausted at dealing with the constant death. But her next case is the severely wounded kid, and as she cleans his face, she slowly realizes who he is and pleads with the doctor to save her love. The doctor insists that the kid is a hopeless case and will die, but Curly pushes him to operate to save the kid. As they prepare for the surgery, the assistant says there's no anesthesia for him, but Curly can't let him die, so they operate without it. He is delirious and asks Curly if they are in hell. She tells him to hang on and that he has to live for her. The final scene is months later, and the kid is recovering in a hospital, confined to a wheelchair, but with a metal pin to his chest and Curly by his side. He has lost movement in his hands and legs, and he says he's been KO'd for good. Curly says she'll make enough money for both of them, but he doesn't like the idea of having a Dane keep him, so she tells him to fight her for it. His old sparring partner Molasses arrives to show off his uniform full of medals, most of which he won gambling with other soldiers. They hear a parade outside and go to watch. As the flag is hoisted, the kid realizes that when he didn't want to salute the flag, he could, but now that he wants to, he can't do it. He asks Curly to salute for him, which she proudly does. Finally, he pleads to God that he wants to move, and with sudden resolve manages to stand up out of his wheelchair and proudly salute the flag as the closing image of the film. I know that was a bit longer than my usual summary of films, but this was a long one. I couldn't find much about the making of the film, but it does appear on a list I found of films that were made with the assistance of the Pentagon, which seems obvious, since the second half is a war film. However, I noticed films on the list like Karate Kid Part 2 and Pet Cemetery. Many of the films on the list are war or military films, but some probably just include an image or footage provided by the Pentagon. As I mentioned in the opening, the film is based on a short story by Rupert Hughes by the same name. I much preferred the short story to the film, and it must be noted that in the story, Curly's character is the patent leather kid of the title, though much of the plot remains the same. The story is harder to come by than the film, but you can probably find a copy at a university library near you. One final note on the making of the film comes from the New York Times in August 1927, just before the film premiered. The brief article notes that producer Al Rocket hadn't found a, quote, theme that appealed to him more than that of Bartholomew's role in The Patent Leather Kid. Regarding Molly O'Day, Rocket also notes that she had, quote, tears in her eyes when he finished telling her the story, 
and that she was definitely the one to play Curly because she was, quote, in full sympathy with the role. So who was involved in making this film? First up, of course, is Richard Barthelmus. Born on May 9, 1895 in New York City, Barthelmus began acting on stage at a very young age, following in the footsteps of his mother, before appearing on screen for the first time in the 1916 film Gloria's Romance, as an uncredited extra. He quickly found success due in part to his boyish good looks, and I'm not afraid to admit that he is a good-looking guy in this film. The scenes of him training and boxing show off his physique, and he has a very haunting eyes that pop off the screen when shot in close-up. The industry magazine Photoplay declared in 1922 that Barthelmus was the, quote, idol of every girl in America. And a year earlier, Pictureplay magazine cited his, quote, wonderful black hair and soulful eyes as being enough to make any young girl adore him. The New York Times said that the film, quote, carries a combination of crisis and sentimental pathos best calculated to bring out Barthelmus' histrionic abilities. Barthelmus co-star from Broken Blossoms, Lillian Gish, proclaimed that he, quote, has the most beautiful face of any man who ever went before a camera. His heyday was in the 1920s, rising to quick stardom. However, once he started to age a bit and sound pictures took over the industry, his popularity started to fade. He continued to work throughout the 1930s, but ultimately retired in 1942 after appearing in 78 films in just 26 years. Barthelmus was married twice to Mary Hay in 1920 and to Jessica Stewart Sargent in 1928. He had a daughter with his first wife and adopted the son of his second wife, who he stayed married to until his death in 1963 due to throat cancer in Southampton, New Jersey at the age of 68. He was nominated for Best Actor for his work in this film as well as The Noose. Molly O'Day, playing Curly Boyle, was born Susan Dobson Noonan on October 15, 1909 in Bayonne, New Jersey. She was the youngest of 11 children. Her father was a judge and her mother was a singer for the Metropolitan Opera. Her first screen appearance was in Laurel and Hardy's short 45 Minutes from Hollywood in 1926, followed the next year by The Patent Leather Kid, which was her feature film debut. She appeared in 20 feature films over 10 years and has a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. In 1934, she married Jack Durant, with whom she had four children, before divorcing in 1951. She remarried to James Keniston a year later, but divorced him as well in 1956. O'Day lived to be nearly 89 years old, passing away in Avila Beach, California, one day before her 89th birthday. Director Alfred Santel was born September 14, 1895 in San Francisco, California. He directed over 60 films throughout his career, beginning in 1917 until 1947, when he left the film industry after contract disputes with Republic Studios. Married to actress Jane N. Keithley in 1934, they remained together until her death. Santel himself passed away on June 19, 1981 in Salinas, California, at the age of 85. Lawford Davidson as Lieutenant Hugo Breen was a British actor born in 1890. He appeared in over 40 films, with the patent leather kid coming closer to the end of his career. He is known as the first actor to dub another actor's voice, filling in for the Hungarian actor Paul Lukas in the 1929 film The Wolf of Wall Street. He died in 1964 in Bedfordshire, England. Matthew Betts, as Jake Stuke, the kid's boxing agent, was born in St. Louis, Missouri in 1881. He appeared in over 120 films in just 23 years from 1914 to 1937, passing away in 1938. Arthur Stone is Jimmy Kinch, his trainer. 
was born in 1883, also in St. Louis, and appeared in over 50 films between 1926 and 1938. He worked with names including Betty Davis, director Fritz Lang, Spencer Tracy, and even Lucille Ball in his final film. He died in September 1940 in Hollywood. Lastly, Ray Turner is Mabile Molasses, the sparring partner. He was born in 1895 in New Mexico, and often played stereotypical black characters, as was unfortunately fairly standard at the time of his career. He enlisted in the Army in 1942, and was married twice, before passing away in 1981 in Los Angeles, California. Looking at the historical context of the film, the United States declared war on Germany on April 6, 1917, after passing President Woodrow Wilson's resolution for military action against the Empire. The United States House of Representatives voted 373 to 50 in favor of declaring war, while the Senate voted 82 to 6 in favor. Patent Leather Kid is listed as the 23rd best war film of the 1920s on flickchart.com. Some other films on this list include Buster Keaton's The General, Sergei Eisenstein's classic Battleship Potemkin, Napoleon, and two films that we will be covering later in this podcast season, The Last Command and Best Picture winner, Wings. In terms of reviews, I was only able to find one real contemporary review for this film in the New York Times. Reviewer Mordaunt Hall heaps praise on Bartholomew's acting, claiming that, quote, there is not a single flaw in his acting, while focusing on the length of the film as a negative. This is especially true when it comes to the war scenes and the kids' surgery near the end of the film, complaining the audiences want to be entertained by films, and an extended scene showing a surgical procedure is not entertaining. Regarding O'Day's performance, Hall writes that, quote, she is sincere and earnest, and her acting rivals that of Bar- Mr. Barthamus. The thing that feels most out of place is the direct comments about her appearance. Quote, she had beautiful large eyes and a retrousse nose, which serve her well before the camera, and guided by Mr. Santel, she is most competent in a part that demands a great deal. Obviously, it was a different time nearly a hundred years ago when these words were written, but the idea that the only woman of substance in the film must be guided by the male director to find the character feels so outdated. In terms of critique, uh, I wasn't able to find much critical writing about the film other than the review I just noted, but it's interesting to see the sentiment for the film on the internet. There are generally two camps, one that love the first half with the boxing storyline, and one that prefers the war segments and the second half of the film. Most reviewers agree on one fact, though. The film is too long, something I wholeheartedly agree with. However, there must have been some appetite for the story even a decade later. The New York Times reported in July 1939 that actor George Raft had been signed to a contract with Warner Brothers, and that his first film with the studio would be a remake of The Patent Leather Kid. This would ultimately not pan out when Germany invaded Poland a few months later, causing the studio to rework the plot to focus on those events. The last mention of the remake is in November 1939, and the film was never made. Let me move on to my personal thoughts about the film. As I mentioned a few minutes ago, the film is too long. With a running time somewhere between 2 hours and 10 minutes, and 2.5 hours depending on the version you watch, it is easily 45 minutes to an hour too long. The beginning sequences of the kid boxing and first meeting Curly are too drawn out, and there are a number of scenes that feel like carbon copies of the ones before. Being a silent film, the use of cards to tell us who the kid is and about his temperament defeat the purpose of showing it to us in the action sequences. 
I personally prefer the latter half of the film, when he gets to the army and his ultimate redemption. I noted before that I prefer the short story and could possibly read that much quicker than sitting down to watch the movie. I do agree that Barthelmus is wonderful in the role and manages to capture the essence of the character while still giving a believable turn at the end of the film. O'Day, on the other hand, feels like she's overacting a bit too much in many scenes. I understand it was her first major role and she was obviously trying to make a big impact, but the one scene that sticks out is the surgery at the end, where she gets extremely melodramatic, and that felt a bit out of place from the rest of the film. I don't think I've given any ratings on my previous episodes, but this comes in with a two and a half stars out of five, boosted that high only due to Barthelmas acting. At the Oscars, The Patent Leather Kid received one nomination at the first Academy Awards for Best Actor for Barthelmas, along with his role in The Noose. The award ultimately went to Emile Jannings, the only other actor nominated this first year, and who we will cover later this season. As with some other films this year, my resources are a bit scant for this episode, but I'll include them in my show notes as always. Please be sure to check out my website at theoscarproject.com or find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash theoscarproject. You can also join the Oscar Project discussion group on Facebook and be sure to come back for the next episode of the Oscar Project podcast where I discuss the film The Racket. Thanks for listening and I will see you at the movies.